0: You're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit bentreechurch.com. To be back at my home church with my family, we missed being here with you last week. We went down to Texas to attend the funeral of my brother, Dr. Ted Trimble. Um, And let me just say, death is awful. It is. Many of you have lost dear loved ones. Uh, but let me just share the encouraging thing. It has no sting for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Yeah. My brother uh, was a believer in Christ Jesus over the years. He, you heard me mention him several times. He's the one that led me to Christ. Um, When I was born again, Ted played a role in many people coming to the Lord. He was a medical doctor, but at heart he was a pastor, a lay pastor, and I'm thankful for his life. Thank you for your prayers for me. We've had lots of Texts and cards and thank yous and hugs, and uh, I'll just take a hug anytime. That's, we're just a hugging church. We, we just want to say thank you though for all your kind words as a family during our difficult time last week. But you guys, you guys are a family as well. Today, as a church family, we're going to do some family time stuff that we haven't done in a while, and that is uh, the shepherding elders of our church want to present. Two new elder candidates uh, to you to pray for and to consider. In just a moment, I'm going to invite them up here on stage, and we're going to introduce them to you, pray for them. Uh, if you don't know, Bentry Church is overseen by a group of men who have been appointed and commissioned by the elders to serve the church body in that office of shepherding elder. And the Apostle Paul gives us this scriptural criteria that these men need to meet as uh, they serve in this office of elder. Let, listen as I read. 1 Timothy 3 1 through 7. Paul says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, that's an elder, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Well, if you're new to being bentry, a bentry member, you you probably don't know this. Uh, or if you you remember, you know this, is a shepherding elder's job is to literally serve the church by uh, overseeing their spiritual health of the members of the church. Each, Each member of ministry is put into a mini church, as in a smaller church with inside the bigger church, and that shepherding elder oversees that church. They're given, each one is given their own shepherding elder. And What we're doing today is presenting these men to you as candidates for the office of elder at Bentry. Does this make sense? So we as the current shepherding elders have met, we've prayed with these guys, we've studied their lives and, and what they believe, what they think. And we think they would make excellent elders. For the next few weeks, what we want to do is we want to hear from you. If you know of any reason why these men should not serve or hold this office, we want to hear from you. And likewise, if you think these guys would be a great fit for this office, let us know that as well. Uh, if you don't know these guys, talk to them after the service. Go grab some coffee with them sometime. Talk to them. Well, you guys, if you would, come up on stage. Bring your wives, if you would. They each only have one, so by that that was an important part of that. Well, let me introduce to you uh, right here. This is Larry Albertson and his wife, Vicky. Thank you guys for coming. Come right up here and you guys can come over here. This is Ed Wolf and his wife, Janet. Thank you for coming up. And both of these men and their wives have been serving faithfully at Bent Tree Church. Uh, and you guys, man, you've served me uh, through this time. And you exceed the qualifications of an elder at Bentry Church, and God willing, in just a few weeks, we'll commission you, uh, have you up here, and and all the shepherding elders will lay hands on you and commission you for this. It's always a beautiful thing, in my opinion. It's one of the most precious parts of the body of Christ. Well, church family, if you would just stretch out your hand towards these guys, and we're just going to pray for them right now. Let's pray. Holy God, our Father, we come to you as a church family. We just prayerfully offer these two men as candidates for the office of shepherding elder here at Bentry Church. God, would you protect them, their wives, and their families over the next few weeks? Would you just confirm in the hearts of us, the family of God, that this is indeed the role that they are to play at Bentry Church? Confirm it in their hearts as well. God, I pray for wisdom for all those who call Bentry home with, in regard to these two men. We thank you, God, for these men and their wives and their family, the ministry that they've already done in our midst, serving us, taking care of us. Thank you for bringing them to us. God, I love these men. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Would you give God a hand for these guys? Thank you, guys. Thank you appreciate you guys. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Well, since it's family time, let's do another thing before we start preaching. Sorry, we've got so many things, but these are all good things before we get started in our time of preaching. We'll have baptism coming up next week. So if you want to be baptized, you need to sign up that little QR code in front of you on those chairs. You can do that. Just go to events and baptism and sign up for that. Or just come and see me or one of the staff after the service and let us know. Um, And I can't wait for that. Baptism, just this beautiful thing. So next week. One more big family thing to tell you about, and if you're new to Bentry, you may not know that we are part of a family of churches across Colorado and across the nation, really around the world, called Baptist Churches. We're part of the Colorado Baptist, 370 plus churches that work together to reach our state for Jesus. And as you know, I was honored to get to speak to the convention uh, last week, right in the middle of all that stuff we were going through, but we joined with all these churches in Colorado and Baptist churches around the country in a cooperative effort to actively plant new churches, and that's an exciting thing, to share the gospel. And on top of that, all these Baptist churches across the country, with We cooperate on things like disaster relief, taking care of the homeless, uh, taking care of the widows and orphans, people at their most vulnerable state. Many of you have worked in the disaster relief part when we had the fires here. But the most important thing we do is we send missionaries around the world, reaching unreached people groups. Your giving makes that possible. And now the reason I'm sharing with you with this is, I want you to see what your giving is doing over this last year. Each week, part of your base 10 giving, our tithes, our offerings, help these efforts out around the globe. Let me give you some numbers into what we call the cooperative program. Here it is. There have been 588 new Baptist churches started over the last year in North America. That is huge to plant a new church. And what's crazy is that that number is 36 more than the previous year in the middle of a pandemic. Praise God for that. Yeah, let's give God a hand. Now check this out. Since we started in 2010, Southern Baptists have started 8,200 new churches in North America. That's huge as well. Now let's Let's switch from North America now to the international scene. We call it the International Mission Board or the IMB. This is the thing I want to show you. The International Mission Board, IMB, sent out 422 missionaries outside North America over the last year. That's huge, but look what they did. The IMB was able to engage 247 new people groups and places. Outside of North America over the last year. That means in the places Jesus has not been preached before. Is that crazy or what? We think there's between 3,000 and 5,000 people groups that have never heard the message of the gospel before. Now, I love this. The International Mission Board, IMB, started 18,380 new churches outside of North America. This is your, this is your giving that's, that's been able to work in cooperative effort on this. IMB missionaries, through this, they shared the gospel with 769,494 different people outside of North America. Now, notice how exact that number is. Do you know why that's so exact? because people count. You see what I mean? Now, what this means here is outside of this number or from that number, 144,322 new believers to faith in Christ Jesus joined outside of North America over the last year. Let's give God a hand. Those are real people. That our giving has helped support. Now, thank you for giving your base 10 gifts. I mean, it keeps the lights on here, all of that. Some of you are base 10 plus 10, and that's huge in there. God is doing something great at our church and around the world. When most churches, let's just be honest, are dying. So let's thank God one more time for this great report. (laughs) Bow your head, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, just simply that we can address you as Father, it just humbles us. Thank you for these great numbers, God. I pray that you enable us, the members of Bentry, to increase our giving. Use our giving to further your kingdom, both here in Colorado, in Loveland, northern Colorado, and around the world. Father, that message that you love us enough to demonstrate your love in sending your Son as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the believers. God, that you would love us enough to reveal yourself completely to us by sending that son to redeem the curse of sin preserved in these words, God. Holy Spirit, teach us what we need to know now. Help us to understand what we do not understand. God, grow us as individuals into the person that you want us to be, each individual. And God, as a church family, grow us into maturity in both our spiritual depth and in our numbers and size and function in the kingdom. Lord, preach through me today with your Holy Spirit. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you can be turning to the Gospel of John in your Bible. Who brought their Bible? Let's hold those up. Let me see those things. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that. Chapter 3 of John, as we continue in our series titled, So That You May Believe. Now, notice that we gave the series that title because the Apostle John says at the end of this book, he says, the reason I wrote all this stuff down is so that you might believe. And, and so that you may believe. And, and if you're enabled to believe by the power of the Spirit, it says, so you may believe. Now, every person is permitted to believe, Right? Or the, in other words, they have permission to believe, but it is only those in whom according to the sovereign will of God the Father who are able to believe. Now make sure you get this, the difference, what he's saying here. May versus can. May believe versus can believe. Permission to believe versus ability. In other words, John is saying, in hearing this message, the gospel message, he says, you can find life. That's what the apostle Paul is also talking about in Romans 10, 17, when he says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the message about Christ, or what we call the gospel. Faith comes to us. We don't have faith without the Holy Spirit of God working in us. We are faithless before the holy spirit comes it's why this series is so vitally important for us to understand why it's so vitally important for us to apply we want to understand what salvation is and how we find it through christ jesus and what it means then to live out our salvation every day as christ followers are you guys ready to jump into god's word i had a week off so i'm ready to preach baby If you can, would you stand with me as we read our passage for today, John chapter 3. If you'll remember, a couple of weeks ago, John the Baptist here is addressing his disciples' concerns that all the people are leaving him and starting to follow Jesus. Do you remember? And So John tells them this, starting in verse 28 of chapter 3. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words, since he gives the Spirit without measure, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. You may be seated. Right there, at the end of chapter 3, we have John the Baptist speaking. Now we call him the baptizer, that's just me. I just want to differentiate between him and John the Apostle, two Johns. Now, I want us to see something here as we jump back in. We covered verses 27 through 36 for context. But now we're going to drill down starting in verse 31 through 36. The reason I say that is that there are some scholars that believe verse 31 through 36 are the apostle John's words. But what I think is that this is still John the baptizer speaking, not John the apostle. Now, the reason I think that is threefold. One, it just flows, doesn't it? Right through verse 36, verse 27 through 36. It just makes sense as you read it. It's as if the baptizer is telling his disciples why it's okay for all the people to follow Jesus instead of the baptizer. But John the baptizer, John the Baptist has just given them this analogy. You remember of the groom asking his friend to watch over the bride and to make sure that the bride is ready for the groom's return. And then the baptizer gives his disciples this clear teaching on who the Messiah is. And it's deep. We about to go deep, brothers, sisters. The second reason I think this is true, this is uh that this is John the Baptizer speaking, is 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 that this um this set of verses here, remember, chapter numbers and verse numbers are man-made things. We just lay them across scripture. There's they're there so you can help find, you know, if I can say John chapter three, you know where it is. It's not part of the scripture though, it's not the text. Just because it has a verse number that starts in a certain place, it's not scripture. It's just a numbering system. But you might say, but Paul, it has quotation marks from verse 27 to verse 36. Or verse 27 to verse 30. And that's the third reason that I don't think this is the Apostle John speaking here. Because the original Greek doesn't have Quotation marks in the manuscripts, which by the way, the earliest versions that we have, and I've seen them uh, with my own eyes, is John, the gospel of John. They don't have quotation marks in the original Greek. Instead, they simply said who was speaking. John said or Jesus said, but now there is some disagreement on who's speaking here. I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. (laughs) Either way, it's scripture. Either way, it's scripture, amen? Now remember, this is just after the baptizer likens Jesus as the groom. God's people are the bride and in himself, the baptizer is the friend of the groom telling the bride to be ready for the coming of the groom. It's what we looked at last time we studied this. So now the baptizer tells us what that means in a deeper sense. Check out verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. John the Baptist has been a witness to who Jesus is as the son of God. He gives this testimony to the identity of Jesus as the Christ. So what makes John such a good witness here? Well, What makes anyone a good witness? I think three things. To begin with, a good witness must have firsthand information. A guy must have seen or heard something personally to be able to testify about that thing. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, think about it. A good judge would not allow someone to witness uh, in a criminal case that said something like, I know a guy who knows a guy who saw the defendant rob the store at gunpoint. The judge wouldn't allow that witness. That's called hearsay evidence. That kind of witness is just not reliable, is it? A witness has to have firsthand information. He has to have seen or heard. And second, to be a good witness, a dude or a dudette must be willing to speak up and get involved. And there's always a risk for getting involved. There's a risk there, isn't there? A person that witnesses, say, a murder or a crime, they run the risk of being hurt if they testify against that murder. Think of it this way. There is no value if a witness who has information doesn't testify. Why? Because the court simply won't have the information to judge with. And the third, uh, to be a good witness, third thing, They have to have be a credible witness, a reliable witness. Think about this. What we mean is that a witness must give good information so that we know what he's talking about, for one, and that he or she is consistent in what they saw and what they said they saw or heard. Or in other words, a witness can't just give it a snippet of information. It has to be relevant and not contradict itself. Are you with me? Now, why is John the Baptist such a good witness here? Well, we know that John the Baptist has been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, since the time he was in his mother's womb. And yet, John, even though he is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's still a limit to how much he knows about God. Or think about it this way. John the Baptist can only reveal and testify to how much God has revealed to him. And he does just that. But what this verse is also telling us is that Jesus is different. John is limited. He's a man. He's from the earth. Jesus is from above, from heaven. He is not from the earth. His origin is heaven. John is declaring himself to be of the earth, from the earth, and he speaks To the earth. That's what he says. And the Greek word for the earth here isn't a negative one, like morally sinful. It just means that the baptizer is limited. He's human. Even though Jesus tells us the baptizer John is the greatest man who was ever born, he's still just a man. And a man sent from God. Nonetheless, the people recognized him as a prophet. So that is why his testimony to the identity of Christ Jesus is so credible. That's that's what we saw way back in chapter 1 of John, verse 6. Now, what we're saying is that if John the baptizer is just a man... And yet he is a prophet, the greatest man ever born. He's a prophet of God that carries this important message from God to us that the Messiah is coming. He says, repent, get ready. John the Baptist is like the other prophets, like Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, who all carry this important message. The Messiah, the promised one is coming. Get ready. What the baptizer John is telling us in verse 31 is that Jesus, though, is different from the dude that comes to the earth how is Jesus different from John? How is John, Jesus greater than John? Let me show you two basic truths about Jesus. Write this down. Jesus is not just a messenger sent by God. Jesus is the messenger from God and he and is himself the message. See, if you get this, Jesus is not just a messenger sent by God. Jesus is the messenger from God and is himself the message. The baptizer and the other prophets had had been messengers from God, hadn't they? But Jesus is the messenger. Here's a way to view it. John the baptizer and and the other disciples don't claim independent and total revelation from God. And neither do any of the other Old Testament prophets. They are only authorized to speak, thus saith the Lord. To add to or expound on it would disqualify them as prophets. What we mean is that although they may have specific messages from God for the people of God that have walked away, they are still only getting a great, uh, a limited amount of information, even though these are great men. In a very real sense, John the Baptist and the disciples are only sent to bear witness to Jesus. And if we have been born again, regenerated, we are to also bear witness for Jesus. Now look in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is one you could commit to memory. It's a good one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word is straight from Jesus to all his followers. It's literally what we are here for. Why we're still alive. Check this out. I want you to see something. We have limited knowledge of God. A limited knowledge. But just like the prophets of old, we have heard from the Holy Spirit. But our capacity to hear from God, it's finite, isn't it? But check this out. Jesus alone speaks and acts out of a complete knowledge of God the Father. Some of you really need to get this because you view Jesus incompletely. Jesus alone speaks and acts out of a complete knowledge of God the Father. Or to say it another way, when Jesus speaks, he speaks the very words of God the Father. That's important doctrine to understand. John 12 verse 49 says, uh, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. But also, how Jesus acts or what he does is at least as important as what he speaks, right? How he molds perfect love He shows this perfect love for us as sinners, reveals the character of the Father and what pleases Him. And here's the kicker. We see those facts of who God is in the gospel of Jesus coming to earth to take on our sin and to die and to be raised back to life on the third day. Amen? That's powerful. That's deep, church family. But what the baptizer is also saying about himself, he says, I'm from the earth. I'm just a man who has heard the message from God about the coming of God to earth. But Jesus is the one from above. He is the true messenger and his message is complete. He is the messenger and the message all in one package. And in that message we see God the Father. This is powerful. The author of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews chapter 1, that's a New Testament book. First half of verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's Jesus that's talking about. What John the Baptist is saying, he says, I have a message from God, but my message is limited. But Jesus, he is from heaven, his message Unlimited and why is Jesus's message from heaven so unlimited because he is God when you see Jesus you are seeing the Father that's important you don't go down a bad path of false doctrine here be careful We are not saying that Jesus is just another aspect or side of God like he morphs into. No, no, no. That's wrong. What we are saying is that God is one. Amen? God is one. Let me get an amen amen before we go on because he is existing though in three persons. Understand? No, me either. And I've been studying it for 40 years. What, what John the Baptist is giving witness to here about who Jesus is, is that John's testimony is good. It's true, but limited. While Jesus' testimony about himself and about God the Father, unlimited, perfect testimony. So watch what John the baptizer says about Jesus here. At the end of verse 31, and again in verse 32 added with it. John is about to lay some big truth on us. So as this thing goes by, you grab a hold of it. Look at the second half of verse 31. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The baptizer is pointing out that no one is believing at this point in Jesus' testimony of who he is as the son of God. Now check this out. The phrase from above in Greek. Here's what it means. Antonium is the same Greek word used in John 3 and John, uh, John 3, 3 and John 3, 7 to translate born again or born from above. I want you to get this. When he says, when John says, Jesus is from above. He uses the same word that Jesus says in verse 3 and verse 7. When he says, you must be born again. Born from above. You must be like me. You must be born from heaven. I hope you see this. When John the Baptist is saying salvation comes from above. He is saying salvation is coming from God the Father. Not us. Through God the Son, Jesus, and by God the Holy Spirit. Salvation is always a work of God in all the members of the Trinity. It doesn't come from us. It is a gift to to us, those who believe. And when John the Baptist is saying, no one accepts Jesus' testimony, that's just confirming again what Jesus had said back to Nicodemus. You remember in John 3, verse 11? Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, why doesn't anyone at this point accept Jesus' testimony? Well, the baptizer is saying because they belong to the earth. They have no way to see the testimony on their own and believe it. It must come from being born again, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this may mess you up, but let's hear from the apostle Paul what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul tells us, but if our gospel is veiled... In other words, if we can't see it, can't understand it. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, notice little g God, of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words although every man has the responsibility to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and that the gospel is open to all who believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, we also know that some don't believe and die in their sin. In fact, that would be most people throughout time. They die in their sin. Sobering thought, isn't it? Paul is saying, look, the gospel is veiled to them. It's covered up. They can't see it. Who's placing the veil over the gospel? Paul says it's the God of this age. Little g, God, or in other words, Satan. Satan is blinding these people. So why does John the Baptist believe Jesus is the Son of God? Because he has been given faith by the Holy Spirit living within him. Do you see how faith brings salvation? Okay, back to John the baptizer's message to us about Jesus. He says this in verse 33. He says, the one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. Now check that out. It's saying that the one who receives or believes Christ's testimony is not only believing in the truth of Christ, but the truth of God. Jesus' name is actually the word of God. That's how the entire book of John begins. Chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to the second half of verse 17 for just a second of Revelation 12. Look at this. Those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. The commands of God. The commands of God are the word of God. The Bible right here. We are called believers because we hold firmly to the word of God. And the word of God is a testimony about who? Jesus. And Jesus, his name is the word of God. The one who believes in Jesus as the son of God. The one who believes in the testimony from John the Baptist and John the apostle and all the prophets and all the apostles. And most importantly, the one who believes in the testimony of Jesus himself about himself. But then look in verse 34, as John the baptizer says, he says, for the one whom God sent speaks God's words, since he gives the spirit without measure. I like this. John the baptizer had the spirit of God, right? What is the difference between John the baptizer and Jesus at this point? When John speaks, he carries a message from God by the Spirit of God living within him. But since we are limited people, we have a finite, limited capacity. The Spirit, though, is unlimited, but we are finite. You with me? The Spirit is unlimited, the Spirit of God, but we are limited. We are a creation and not God. However, there is a very good news. Once we get to heaven, when death and sin are no more, the ability for us to connect with God the Spirit will be without limits. That's huge, folks. But now Jesus, the Spirit, is given to Jesus without measure, it says. Why is that? Because he is God, the second member of the Trinity. The Spirit is given to Jesus in his humanity without measure. It says right here, because he is sinless and he is perfect in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit. This is the apex of what the baptizer is saying about Jesus in verse 35. Look at verse 35, John 3. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The baptizer is clearly Declaring the total sovereignty and supremacy of Jesus Christ above all. You're not getting that. The baptizer John's declaring the total sovereignty and supremacy of Jesus Christ above all. Can I get an amen? amen? What he is saying is that the sinful men have only one hope. And that is Jesus alone is able to save. There is no other name. No one else can save a sinful fallen man from the consequences of his own disobedience. By the way, that'd be you. And you. And you. And me. Write this down. John the Baptist gives testimony of the total sovereignty and supremacy of Jesus Christ overall. I want you to get that. John the Baptist gives total testimony of the total sovereignty and supremacy of Jesus Christ over all. Can I just tell you in all honesty that if I were able to preach for a thousand more years, we could not exhaust the meaning of this statement and the gravity of what John the Baptist is telling us. What I'm saying is that we can know this truth... But I don't think we will ever get the the rightness of this truth even throughout all eternity with full access to the Spirit. I I know that I'm saying a ton here. But what I'm trying to get at here is that when we say God is sovereign and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we are being sealed in the promises of God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1 verse 13. He says, in him, talking about Jesus, you also were sealed with the promise of the ho- promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption Of the possession to the praise of his glory. God seals us believers with the Holy Spirit. And in that Holy Spirit is in us. What we see is that God is true to all the promises that he made. Concerning Jesus throughout all the prophets of the Old Testament. John the Baptist here. And certainly Jesus himself. In the coming of Jesus All is accomplished in his coming to the earth to die for the sins of the elect. And not one iota, not one person will be missed. The Apostle Paul tells us these promises that God kept in Christ Jesus. Look in Acts chapter 13. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in verse 32. He says, And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the uh, second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now what's crazy is that all the promises made about Jesus are true and not one of them is missing. On the top of that, the promises made about Christ Jesus are true, all of them, all of them. What we mean is that when we place our faith in Jesus and give him our trust, we place we are placed in the Savior, it gives us the ability to not hope in the world for happiness. What that does is to take away the power of the world on us. The sin, the temptation, the pull of this world, the fear of dying a physical death, it all goes away in Christ Jesus. Okay, last verse of chapter three. Only took us one year to get here. The one who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, look at this, the wrath of God remains on him. Why does the wrath of God remain on the person who does not believe? Why is that? Well, we're born into sin, original sin. We are born sinful from the start because we're in the flesh. Like when Jesus says in verse 6, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus says, do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. It's the same thing we studied a few weeks ago when Jesus said back to, to Nicodemus in verse 18, he says this, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Do you remember the railroad tracks going off into infinity? Our default status is condemnation. All mankind Those that deserved, uh, I'm sorry, descended from Adam and Eve already condemned until we are called to believe when we hear the gospel and we respond in faith. We call that believing in God. Romans 5 verse 17 says, If by the one man's trespass death reigned throughout that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Someone say praise God. Because we are Christians, we are under, uh, uh, I'm sorry, before we are Christians, we are under the curse of Adam. His sin. Original sin. It just said it. But for those who believe We are under the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's what it said as clear as a bell. Jesus is the new Adam. What John the Baptist proclaimed with this this voice, he lived out by actively pointing to Jesus' ministry. He said, follow him, follow him, not me. His witness is strong and true. This is the, the last teaching of John the baptizer that we'll see. We'll see him again before he dies, but it's right before he dies and he's in a different role. He's not teaching, he's facing death when we see him later in the book. But what amazes me is that John the baptizer's testimony given to him by God to share with the world about the coming Messiah matched so perfectly with that of Jesus' own testimony about himself. And that both of those testimonies matched all of the Old Testament. Does that not blow your mind? By the way, when we talked earlier about John the Baptist's testimony about Christ and then Jesus' testimony about the Father, do you remember that? The reason John the Baptist's testimony was so powerful is that he had the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, living and working within him. Here's what I want you to know. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have been born again, you have the same Holy Spirit living and residing in you. The Holy Spirit is not limited. You and I are. Or another way to say it, by the way we live our lives, we often place limits on the Holy Spirit's work. The Bible calls it quenching the Holy Spirit. In our lives. Things that God wants us to do. He wants to do through us with Holy Spirit. And and I just want you um, to see this. At the end of this passage right here. With the thought of what made John the Baptist such a powerful witness for Jesus. The foundation of humility. To say I must decrease the sinful me. I just need to decrease. And then John's obedience to Christ Jesus when he says, Jesus must increase. Oh, may that be a prayer for us. Would you pray with me? God, give us humility and obedience to you that you would just be made much of in our lives and that as we would grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, And we're conformed to his image that the measure of the spirit within us would just be steadily increasing. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you look up here for a moment. We've come to that time we come to each month at the end of the month. And we still have one more week, but we do this on the fourth Sunday of the month, and that is take communion. If you would, go ahead and take the communion out. And I need someone to get me one. Can someone grab me one? Oh, that's a good staff member right there. Go ahead and open it up. Be careful. Take the little piece of bread out and open the little cup of juice. This is what we call the ordinary means of grace. It's one of the ways ordinarily... God pours out his grace to us. We are reminded again of what Jesus has done. If you're a Christian, you don't have to be a member of, a, of this church to partake. You're a part of, our, uh, of the big church. Join with us. But let me do give you two warnings. If you're not a Christian, don't take this. It's quite dangerous. I mean that. And if you are a Christian, but there is sin in your life you need to repent of, take a moment just to repent. You're already forgiven of it, but repent. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Maybe they're sitting next to you. I mean, don't look at them. (laughs) Maybe they don't even know. Just forgive them. And you go, but Paul, they're not worthy to for, be forgiven. And you weren't either. But Jesus is. Jesus is. He is worthy. That's why his blood is so powerful. You see, on the night before he was crucified, he sat down with his disciples after a large dinner, a feast The Passover feast. And he took some bread and he broke it. In fact, just break that. If it'll break. You hear the little snaps all over the room. He said, this uh, this bread represents my body broken for you. The next day his body would be broken, wouldn't it? Nailed to a Roman cross. Remember that body given for you. This is the body of Christ. Take and eat. Then he took the last cup of the Passover. And he held it up and he said, This this wine, this represents the um, the blood that is poured out for you. It is this picture of the blood running down from his hands, his head, his feet, his side, his back. Blood poured for the forgiveness of sin. See, we teach a very old doctrine here. One that Jesus himself taught. That the blood he shed at the cross is a propitiation. Fancy word means payment for the sins of those who believe. So as you take this blood, this wine, this juice here. Remember, your sins are forgiven because blood was paid on your behalf. This is the blood of Christ. Take and drink. We remember, Jesus, what you have done for us at the cross of Calvary. And God, we remember the love that you have demonstrated in sending your son and that you confirmed he is the son of God by raising him on the third day. God, would we take your message into the the areas of our lives that we would share the gospel with those around us and that we would believe in Jesus as the Son of God and that you would save us. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.